0: Thank you, Chris. This is the word of the Lord, Isaiah 9. If you're a guest with us today, we want you to know you are important to us. Thank you for being with us, taking your time on this Sunday morning. I trust that you will sense the work of God, the hand of God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding when you understand what God is up to. Have you ever had a realization (laughs) hit you? That you have a problem that you don't know what to do with. And there doesn't seem to be an answer. A while back, several months back, uh, I walked into our basement. And in the basement bathroom, there was water all over the floor. And I went, what's going on with that? And I opened up the closet that goes under the steps. And that's where the water lines are. And it was just spraying all over the place. And it hit me. This is a problem. And I don't know what to do about it this is bad it's bad enough but there are other problems that are a lot worse marital strife societal divisions just doesn't seem to be any answer for these things war in the middle east i'm saying why what's driving all this there's got to be an answer Isaiah, as we're reading in this book in the Old Testament, uh, uh, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament here, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you want to take the one that's right there in front of you, please do that. We, we, we love for people to take the Bible and just start reading and searching the Scriptures. And, and Isaiah here is writing to the people of Israel, and he has just described to them in chapter 8 a desperately serious problem are going to be attacked by a marauding nation, an army that will come and and destroy them. Yet that pressing problem that they have only represents part of their problem. And Isaiah needs them to see the bigger problem, and so do we. They also need to see the promise that God is providing for them and the plan that God has for them that's foretold. We desperately need the same message. I'm often asked, Dave, what do I I need to know in order to understand the Bible? I'd really like to know what this book is all about. But when I do, when I start to read it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. I want help with that. Well, know this and be assured of this, that all Scripture from cover to cover, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. It does help to have some understanding, and the Holy Spirit brings to our comprehension light to comprehend these things. Yet to understand the Bible, I like to encourage people, just go ahead and start at the beginning, Genesis. Read Genesis and Exodus, because it's very foundational. If there is a God, and there is, in the beginning, God created. We have this creator. We're accountable to this creator. We have to answer to this creator who made us. And you keep on reading through Genesis, and you realize that every one of them, and, and us too, every one of them have fallen short, and we've made, we've made a mess of things. And you read through Genesis, you start reading in Exodus, there, there are all kinds of problems that people have, and it's it just it's, it's embarrassing the things that were going on and we realize as you get into exodus as well that that sin has consequences but then there comes a promise even at the very beginning and throughout these verses and even in exodus as we we see all these sacrifices brought forth that they are supposed to do it's illustrating that god is making a promise that he's going to solve our problem genesis and exodus then I like to encourage people to jump ahead to the Gospels, to the start of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this God who created everything was going to do something for us, and we realize that he keeps his promise, this Jesus This one who is God in the flesh came to die, and not just die, but to be buried and to rise again the third day to conquer sin in the grave so we can say thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you start to see how how what was the problem in the Old Testament God deals with in the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, a promise kept. And then I like to encourage people to read in Romans and Hebrews and any of the letters but especially those are illustrating the the exposition or the the depth of the gospel and Romans gives us doctrine and to, after doctrine to delve into and to see how deep this truth of the gospel is uh repentance and reconciliation and redemption and justification by by the work of God and we receive it by faith and as you're reading through the book of Hebrews you're realizing that all these things that the Old Testament was talking about Jesus did all that and we have one sacrifice fulfilled and we just simply believe in him we we exercise faith in Jesus alone for our salvation I also think it's really good to become familiar with Isaiah. Again, Psalms, Proverbs, uh, all the history books, all the other prophets, all of these are great, but really get to know Isaiah. Genesis, uh, the Gospels, the explanation of the Gospels and the letters, especially in Romans and Hebrews. But then you come to Isaiah back in the middle of the book, and you realize, wow, there's a lot that's going on here, 66 chapters. This is the message of the Messiah foretold with prophecies. And I like to think of Isaiah as the glue that ties the whole Bible together. In fact, you'll find as you're reading through Isaiah, and you you remember what you've read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and Romans, and that everyone's quoting Isaiah. I think like 60-some times Isaiah is quoted in the, in the New Testament. And it was very foundational for everyone who was looking for the Messiah to know the book of Isaiah, and where, when he came, they realized this is actually happening. So today, we begin a series... A Communion Sunday series. For seven years now, on the first Sunday of the month, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews. Remember that? 13 chapters. It took us about seven years. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The other day I was mentioning that to somebody, and and there was this this wide eye came over him, and it was like, Pastor, do you realize what you're getting us into? This could take a while. Now, we won't go verse by verse like we did through Hebrews uh, time after time, but we'll be looking for the Messiah in Isaiah, and it, it will take a while. There's so much here, but it's so much that we need. You know, I think it's obvious to us all. There is so much darkness in our world around us. We know this. Yet I hope as we open this book of Isaiah today and in the weeks to come and the months to come, I hope to encourage you with the the truth that we have here in Isaiah 9. This is truth, that light has come into the world. So let's follow the development of this passage that was just read to us a few minutes ago, Isaiah 9. And we'll start with the first several verses, and we'll come back to this over the next three weeks, four weeks, uh, through the month of December, uh, just exposing this text to our comprehension and letting it develop and say, oh, so that's what's there. That's good. The first development I want you to see is this God emphasizes the problem, the problem. And he does it with a metaphor. What's a metaphor? What's it there for? Where are using one thing to be able to comprehend something that's much bigger, something that's understandable to, to understand something that, that might need a little bit more thought. In Isaiah 9, we read that there is darkness, and we come across that word gloom in verse 9, and he just brought that up in the verse right before that, the gloom of anguish. But, so there's a change in the story here, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. The idea of the word gloom here is it's so dark that there's not even a not even a ray of light. There's no glimmer. There's not even, there's not even, a, even any light at all. But there's more to the story. You read here that um, there are a couple of tribes mentioned, Zebulun and Naphtali, Naphtali. And you also see that there's a a region, the the Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee means um, uh, uh, a region or that that area. Like you live down south, you're from the south. Well, you live in Galilee, you're in that region. Uh, the, 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 The area, the Hebrew word for the area or this region was this word Galilee or Galil. It's the northernmost part of what was ancient Israel. It was actually controlled by Gentiles, and that really bothered the Jews. Uh, It was also the gateway for anyone that was coming in through the region and going through, uh, either for traitors or invaders. And here in the present context, they were realizing that the invaders were coming from the north, and it was going to be a desperately bad situation. This is a serious problem. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. This was their way of living. They walked in darkness. Look back at chapter 8, verse 22, the very last verse. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Darkness. This was just as bad as it could be, it seemed. Darkness in the Bible is often used as a metaphor. Uh, Look it up. Just type in Bible, darkness, how's it used? And you'll see that there's a bunch of verses that address darkness and how it's used. It's a metaphor, talking about one thing yet referring to something much bigger entirely. It's. It's a time that things are just pitch black. There's no hope. Yes, Assyria is coming upon these people, and they are known for their cruelty. In fact, that entire region, even to this day, still in this day, you're just astounded at the cruelty that they can have toward their enemies. But see this. The problem referred to by this, dark, this darkness that Isaiah is addressing is a thick darkness, more desperate than the darkness of an attacking nation against them. It's the darkness of what the Bible refers to, what God says, is sin, immorality. It's bad. So when you see the word darkness in this context and many other places in the Bible, you think evil. Now, in our world, you're kind of mocked if you use that term evil. Sin, evil, yeah, that's old-fashioned. That's just a joke. Or if you do that, you're just just not being fair to everyone else. You're, You're being judgmental. But God addresses this as darkness, as something that's everything that's evil. And Isaiah here is preaching. You get that. And he wants the people to see how desperate things are, not only on a national level, but also on a moral level. And we need to see this. Men and women in that day, in our day, justifying their sin, cruel words, abusive language and actions, bitterness, the silent treatment, rudeness, cruelty, lying, manipulating, cheating, profanity, and it's just accepted as that's just the way things are. Children, horribly disrespectful to their parents and flaunting it. And flaunting it against any authority. How are we shocked that children who won't obey their parents won't obey anyone else? The teacher, the policeman, anyone in authority. Lawlessness. Gross sin flaunted. Today, that which is evil is called good. And that which is good is called evil. This is darkness. It's evil. Would you look back, just keep your place in Isaiah, but look back at Romans chapter 1. There's one verse I want to highlight here in verse 21 where it's referring to They they had a chance to know God, they they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, became evil. So darkness equals everything that is wrong, that's evil. John 3 verse 19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. Because their works were evil, darkness, and evilness. We live in a very dark world. Again, I don't have to emphasize that a lot. It's obvious. And that ought to bother us that it's so evil. Like Isaiah in chapter 6. We'll see that in a later message where he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Gloom, darkness, not a glimmer of light, so it seems. Yet, that first word of the chapter, but, there's more to the story. God gives the promise that so we see the problem our sin. God gives the promise. And again, he uses another metaphor. We've been singing about it all morning long, that light has come. This is a contrasting metaphor. Look at verse 2. The people who walk in darkness have seen great light, and those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, of them has light shone. On them has light shone. Did you notice the past tense that's used here? The light has come. The light has shone. Some of you have another translation, New American tra- Standard. Tra- very, very good, accurate translation. And in that translation, I think of several others, it's translated, you will see, or it will shine upon you. But others, like our ESV and and, and several others, uh Translate this as it has been done. It has been seen. The New American Standard translated as a future tense because it is. It's going to happen, right? But here we have it translated in the past tense like it has happened. What's going on here? Well, in the Hebrew text, the verbs have seen and has shined are both in a very specific tense that's not used often, but, but we'll see it a number of times in Isaiah and in other places in Scripture as well. That's called a prophetic perfect. In other words, something that is so sure that it's going to happen that you state it as it's already happened. The prophetic perfect. Although Isaiah is describing future events, the fulfillment of these events is viewed as so certain that they are translated with a past tense, as if they've already happened. This is how certain God's promises are for us. It's as good as done. Uh, We'll see this in Isaiah 11. We'll see it again in Isaiah 52 and again in Isaiah 53. By the way, if you'd like to have a, a, a little study of this prophetic perfect, uh, just collect your phone, text, and just say link, and I'll send you the link to a, a study that I found on this that, that really does go into it like, oh, so they really did see this as a sure thing, and it really is. It's done. This is the promise from God that God will solve our problem of darkness, of evil, of immorality. May I just say this? The main battle going on in our world is not over social conflicts that seem so ever-present and just seem to be becoming more and more complicated. The main battle in our world is not political powers, who's going to have the power, although that's an ongoing problem. The main battle in our world as you watch the news, as you just look at our culture, as you see what's going on, the main battle is evil darkness against good light. That's why we have the opening verses of the book of John, the Gospel of John, and that they're so significant to these who were it was written to in Isaiah. And they were looking for this coming of this one who would deal with the problem of evil. Because it's what it's what all the universe is dealing with. Look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you delve into that study of the Word, Word, okay, the logic, the thing that makes sense. And if you want life to make sense, you want to know this one who is the one who makes sense, Jesus. And if you study the whole Bible, you'll see that it all revolves around this one who was in the beginning, who was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him or through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. You want to experience life? Look to Jesus. In him was life, and catch this, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And they realized, oh, so this is the Messiah. He's claiming to be God in the flesh, the one that God promised to send to deal with our sin problem in a way only God can do. Those who walked in darkness found themselves ushered into the light of Christ. And Jesus first went into Galilee. Remember this? You read in Matthew that this prophecy would be fulfilled... And he did that exactly as we read here in Isaiah 9. He went first into Galilee, a place where sinners dwelt, where Gentiles dwelt, where Gentiles were ruling, where the the Jews were really troubled by, by the darkness that was there. Yet Jesus came to give light. And the joy of this is that God in his goodness to us has given us this light. We don't deserve it but we can see it. And if God is drawing you to want to see the light that he has, open your eyes to it and say, yes, Lord, I see it. One of the things I love about ministering here at Walnut Park is that there are some other guys that are pushing me to, to, to not be lazy. I have this lazy bone. It goes from head to toe, all right? And others come alongside, hey, pastor, come on, let's do this, let's do this. Well, one of the things that's happened recently is John, uh, Jordan walked in, and I think Jonathan was kind of conspiring with him as well. But he walked in and said, by the way, we're going to memorize 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh huh. That's a lot of work. I'm an old man. I can't memorize anymore. No, that's an excuse. So we're working on memorizing 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Can you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? And I want you to catch a phrase here that I think is just beautiful. Well, will start reading in verse four in 2 Corinthians four. That this we have this ministry by the mercy of God, and we do not lose heart, and we want to handle the scriptures carefully and accurately. Verse two, and in verse three, and if our gospel is veiled or not seen, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this is where we see Jesus. This is where we see God. And verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, you've done that for me. I don't deserve that that you've let me see the light of the glory of God in Jesus who is my messiah the christ on them has light shone back in isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 on them has light shone and that light that has shone produces joy rejoicing joy as with joy at the harvest As they are glad when they divide the spoil. The happiest you can be. Seen the problem. Seen God's promise, the promise of the Messiah. And now we're going to see the development of this thought of how God reveals his plan of this promised one who would deal with our problem. It's a prophecy. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Would you notice verse 4? Can you bring that slide back up that we were looking at, I think? Or the next, this, this, here we go. Verse 4 and verse 5 and verse 6, each one of those verses start with that little connecting word, for. God has revealed his plan in prophecy. And that little word for in verse 4 explains the surprise. Have you ever been so surprised it just makes you happy? Like, I didn't see that one coming. That is so Good. Verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? The day of Midian. What's well, illustrating the kind of surprise that comes from a victory that you did not see coming. And no it's not Iowa beating Michigan, because they did not. It's Gideon, who was so unsure of himself, he kept on putting out fleece after fleece, thinking, I don't know, I don't think I can do this. I don't, I don't know about this. And yet God then reduces his army to just 300. Yet God gives him the victory, and nobody saw it coming, and they were all incredibly pleased to see what God could do that they could not do. Verse 5, the word for, is describing the extent of our joy. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's gone. God will not only win the war for us, he will end war itself. Read Psalm 42. War will be gone. But we long for that. It will be put to an end. And how will it be put to an end? Not by Israel's strength, but by God's plan. In Isaiah 9. In verse 6, another little word for. And this one is expressing the means of our joy because of God's plan. You see, God's plan is far different than our plans. The plans that we think are appropriate and right in the way to solve problems, they don't work. But God has a plan that does. But you wouldn't expect it. You would not realize how effective it would be. I've been intrigued as the news has rolled out about various wars that have been going on that really do dominate the news about how nations are affecting war and what weapons they've come up with and how did they come up with that one who would have thought of that and all these different weapons and 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 I've seen some things described as the secret weapon how even as Israel has come up with this bomb they throw into a tunnel and it explodes and it's not an explosion it's just this this massive goo that fills up and then and and it's a it's a it, it just fills up and all of a sudden becomes hard as rock and nobody can get through. It's a secret weapon. You go, wow, that's pretty good. That's, wow, that's ingenious. Um, God's secret weapon is a baby. A baby. Unto us a child is born. Humble and helpless. But it's not just any baby. It's the son of God. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. We will expand on this in the weeks to come because there's so much right here. But I want you to see that God's plan works even though it doesn't make sense to us. It's an amazing plan. And God's secret weapon is a baby called Jesus. And I want you to see that the very end of the passage that we're looking at here today, we'll we'll again, we'll get to this complete study through December 24th, Christmas Eve. But I want you to see that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That word zeal is the idea of God being jealous about something in a good way, not the way we're jealous, but in a way of his love for his plan and for us being part of that plan And the Lord of hosts, this mighty God of all the armies, he will do this. And his zeal is his passion, his his excitement, his. It's got to be. Nothing is going to stop this plan. Christian, God will do this. For Isaiah, he's looking forward to coming prophecy that he knows is fulfilled. So he says, light has come, light has shone, but for him it looks like it's one event. Guess what? We get to be able to see Jesus having come the first time as an infant to redeem us from our sin problem, knowing that he's coming a second time to rule and reign as the lion winning the victory. God will do this. So what's our response? Well, sin ought to bother us. Never become immune to the evil that surrounds you, the darkness. Don't get used to it. Don't think, well, that's just the way things are. I'll go along with it. Evil ought to hurt you to the core. It ought to bother you. But you don't have to be stuck there because the Bible is filled with this word hope. and We have hope because we know evil has already been overcome because of the light that has already been shown. And Jesus will reign. We've sung about that forever, forever, forevermore. So be in awe of the light God has shown to you in his mercy, in his grace, in his kindness. The fact that you're here today listening to the, the scriptures that are open before you and we get this chance to sing about it and we get this chance to, to listen to the preaching of God's word. The fact that God has moved in your heart to even want to be here or to be listening today via the internet. You get to hear of the light of the glory of God that's in the face of Jesus Christ you've been exposed to the light and if you haven't seen the light yet right now let me and invite you urge you to pray within your own heart right where you are to be saying god i don't yet believe i want to believe help my unbelief. help me to see the light that is in jesus christ and in him alone i need that and third christian Let your confidence be built. Dwell on the fulfilled prophecies of Christ, the Messiah, the one who came just as it was written. Remember what Pastor Jordan was just preaching on? Jesus said that he would be doing these things, that he would die on the cross, that he'd be buried, and that he'd rise again just as it's been written. The scriptures tell us exactly what he'll do. He did that. And as you dwell on the prophecies fulfilled, you'll be surprised by the joy God raises up within your soul. Lord, I know that you use your word to bring light to our darkened hearts. We are sinful in every way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Yet the Lord has laid our iniquity on the Lamb, Jesus Christ. God, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for showing us the light of that truth. And I pray, Lord, that your light would shine in every heart that's here, in every heart of those that are listening, that you would be able to show that evil has already been defeated, darkness. The gloom has been broken. And where light is, darkness cannot exist. And you've already won the victory. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage every believer this Christmas time at your fulfilled promise to come, knowing that you're coming again. May we live with this hope, this assurance, this conviction, this reason for joy. May we worship you. And adore you and live for you and love you and talk of you because you're what it's all about. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.